Today we'll be discussing the 40th anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we'll be discussing the neurologic condition, spinal muscular atrophy. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment and question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, in honor of its 40th anniversary, we'll be discussing Raiders of the Lost Ark. And we'll be discussing the childhood neurologic disease, spinal muscular atrophy, and emerging treatments for this rare disease. But first, Ali, we're going to be talking about summer movies and one of the greatest summer movies of all time. Spoiler alert for my take on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. But you and I, it's a roller coaster with COVID these days, but you and I both have seen movies lately, some movies that have come out over the past month or so. So I saw The Suicide Squad and you saw The Green Knight. So I thought we could give our takes to each other of what we thought. Great. Also, congratulations on getting the uh, intro to the show in one take. Listeners, yeah. that doesn't always happen. Asif yeah. has a, he needs a couple of uh, jogs around the lap for the vocal You don't lap. Uh, have to tell them how the sausage <laughs> is made. Anyway, this isn't me bragging at all, but some of the people, uh, when we've been interviewed for radio shows, they're like, oh, Asif, you seem to be so natural speaking. Do you have any radio training or anything like that? I'm like, no, it's all in the editing. I mean, that's where the magic is, folks. Yeah. I mean, I don't need to be edited at all, of course. I come out ready to go masterful, master, I used to screw yeah, up masterful. Okay. Anyway, okay, so talk to me about Suicide Squad. Yeah, so Suicide Squad, I mean, the background of this is, we talked about in a previous episode that you kind of got me into comics initially, because I went to your house, you had, you know, back in the early 80s, you had all these comics in bags, and, you know, I was very excited, and then I never really collected comics after that, but then maybe several years later, three or four years later, I was in... I, was just, I don't know why. I was in the bus station in my hometown of Ottawa. Was that when you lived in the bus station those few years? <laughs> that's, kicked that, out of your true. home? and That yeah. was a lean time. <laughs> and I saw a couple of, of these comics, Teen Titans, that you had shown me before. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's what Ali likes. So I'll, I'll pick up some of these. And then after that, I just I collected comics for, you know, probably I stopped in like 96, maybe. So 10 years, maybe I was collecting mm -hmm. comics. So anyway, one of the comics that I loved was The Suicide Squad. And so that was this comic, which was such a novel idea back at the time, which is you take all these villains, often like loser type villains in the DC universe. <laughs> loser type villains is hilarious. What a way to <laughs> and, and kind hey. of for, for, for that hurts our feelings. <laughs> and forgotten villains. And forgotten they would villains. be recruited to do these missions by the U.S. government, kind of in a clandestine, clandestine? Clandestine, clandestine is the way yeah. I would go. Well, yeah. whatever. Uh, way. But, and then they would die very frequently. That was one of the things, is they would often kill off things. So I was excited when they made the first movie. And the first movie is not good in the conventional <laughs> sense of good and bad things. It's not good. Which is too bad because there is some good performances. There are some good performances. Let's not let's not take a total crap on grammar here. Asif, well, the, okay? we I have mean, certain standards. the The whole recording process is going downhill really uh, after that. Open pretty quickly. <laughs> 
So anyway, that movie's not good. You can read all about it online, about the reasons why or why it may have been bad. People say the director, David Ayer, says studio meddling. But then if you read his original version of it or his vision for it, I should say, Mm -hmm. it doesn't sound that that good either. So I'm not really sure where (laughs) things are at with that movie. So this new movie is directed by James Gunn, who did the first two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Mm Mm-hmm contentious figure himself yeah you know that whole contentious stuff i think most people say that was right-wing trolls trying to get him fired from disney i I, i'm not really sure that that's uh panned out anything of course he was rehired by disney for the third guardians of the galaxy yeah to be rehired by disney says a lot uh, because disney is like we don't want any drama to affect our brand so the fact that they have him back yeah so i think they overreacted and i think a lot of the stars including chris pratt and your buddy actually i don't know about chris pratt he has some interesting views but dave bautista you're a good buddy you started (laughs) with my spy you two are buds right buds is incredibly strong i don't think he'd remember me if he saw me in the street but if that is what a friendship is, then yes, buddies. <laughs> but anyway, David Batiste is very outspoken, and he kind of spoke up against the kind of firing of James Gunn, and so did a lot of the other stars, and so he was rehired. Mm-hmm. Anyway, getting back to this movie, so I actually saw it in a theater, socially distanced theater experience, which was fine. This movie is good. I won't spoil it for <laughs> anybody what happens. There are lots of deaths in it, a lot of deaths in it, okay. and very surprising who dies and who doesn't die, And mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's hilarious. It's uh, well done. Performances, especially by Idris Elba, Margot Robbie, and so John Cena. Margot Robbie's back. Is Jared Leto back? He He's not be. back. No. Probably uh, Smith, for the best. No. Probably okay. for the best. Will Smith, no. Idris Elba basically plays almost the exact same character that Will Smith played in the first movie. Uh, listen, I know you have an Uncle Idris somewhere, but it's actually Idris Elba. I've been corrected many times. It's Idris. You're really trying to make him too Pakistani right now. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay. Yeah, you know what? The crazy part, my wife told me that the other day. Like, I don't think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. He's yeah. good in the movie. Okay, move on. Anyway, he's great. And his character, like I said, is very similar to Will Smith's character, but it's a different one. So they didn't recast that character. Okay. So he's great. John Cena is very good. Very, very good mm. in the movie. I got a lot of love for that man. So, so who is this movie for? This is the thing I... I went with one of my friends. He's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, who would I recommend this to? And I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, it's recommended if you like these things. If you like the show The Boys on Amazon Prime, if you like Deadpool, this is kind of the – and if you like the last Harley Quinn movie, uh, Birds of Prey, if you like that one, then this movie is probably for you. It's ultra-violent, super-violent, super-R-rated, but it's uh, quite hilarious. And it sometimes doesn't take itself too seriously, which is probably – so anyway, I, I liked it. It's good. Best movie I've seen in the theater this year. Also – only one I've seen a theater this year. I wonder how much that weighs into the fact that you're mm. in the theater and you're like, we totally. back, baby, we back. But we're not really. Totally. Like, because otherwise it's watching it on your laptop, you know, <laughs> like trying not to disturb my wife when I'm watching it. Like, later Well, that's night. actually an interesting segue into The Green Knight, which I will not use, but I will get back to. I just uh, want to say that the reason why I think the theater experience factors into these things is because I saw Tenet. In the theater. That's the Mm -hmm. only movie I've seen in a theater in the last 18 months. And I'm more angry at how bad it was than I probably should be at a normal, right? right? Because I'm like, you ruined the one thing, this amazing experience with like only 15 of us in a 350 seater. Of course, bad news for the... Bad news for the box office, bad news for the theater Mm -hmm. itself, Mm -hmm. bad news for the Hollywood, the producers. 
But for us, what a great experience to be there in these choice seats to watch this movie, uh, you know, and on a Tuesday. I mean, it was everything was great until we were 45 minutes into the movie. And then I was like, this is a nightmare that I, I feel like I'm in a hostage situation. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that, that probably has something to do with it. Like, you know, you're out at a movie and I think that probably has a, has a lot to do with it. Unfortunately, this movie, Suicide Squad, is not doing well at the box office. Part of it is they're saying Delta variants. People are concerned by going to the movies. And, and in, certainly I can understand those concerns. And also, you know, in the US, they released this simultaneously on, I think, HBO Max and in the theaters. And so people are like, A, I could just watch it at home, as you said, because if it's not, it may not be good. So then why am I taking the chance, as you just said? And mm -hmm. B, you know, unfortunately, once something is released on a streaming service, it very quickly is pirated and you can find it on illegal sites on the internet. Oh, so, those pirates. Those pirates. Those pirates. Arr. <laughs> <laughs> so Green Knight, what do you, what do you think about? So, okay, the Green Knight. And the reason that segue was great and you opted big, to not use it? But. I opted not to use it. It was a great thing because this is the one time this has ever happened where I had to, I was given the screener for this film. I, I was going to interview Alicia Vikander, Oscar award-winning Alicia Vikander, mm -hmm. not for The she's, Green Knight, but she's uh, great. For, she, she's fantastic. So I believe she won the Oscar for Tomb Raider. <laughs> is that right? It's not right. It's a joke. <laughs> she won Best Supporting Actress. It was a story about a trans woman about a painting. It's a painting. Oh my gosh. This has got to be the most excruciating. The Danish uh, girl. The Danish the girl. Danish girl, which is a famous painting. So right. yeah, that I couldn't believe how uh, excruciating that must have been for the listeners. <laughs> so Alicia Vikander, she's an incredible actor and the role she takes, she's a, a humanoid robot in Ex Machina. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was great in that movie. Excellent. The Danish girl, Asif painfully described what she played <laughs> in that. She had a supporting role in uh, Jason Bourne in 2016. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Tomb Raider. So she really does pick these very, very interesting roles and dives into them. So I was excited to talk to her. But the reason that was a good segue is because I was told by the publicist, the first question was, do you have a TV? So no one's ever really asked me that. <laughs> At my age, the answer is yes, but certainly. Yeah, some people don't. In their 20s, there's kids who've never owned a TV and probably never will. They wouldn't see the value in that, right? Mm -hmm. If you've ha watched everything on a laptop or a handheld, that's mm -hmm. your life. But this film was pitched to us as this, I mean, they can't say it absolutely must, but they effectively said this has to be watched on a large screen. Okay. Right? So that's what I did. I, I honored that. And I'm not 100% sure that's true, to be honest. I mm -hmm. mean, I don't know because I didn't do both of them. Mm -hmm. But as I was watching it on a television, I was like, I think this could have been, you know, with the headphones in and a laptop and maybe a dark room. I think mm -hmm. I could have gotten the same effect. But anyway, they did say that, please watch this on a television. It's meant to be seen on a larger screen. And in this day and age, large screen, that's all we got pretty much, right? Unless we want to brave the theaters and have that experience for better or for worse. So very interesting movie. Now this movie, first of all, directed by David Lowry. And now if you don't know who David Lowry is, another guy who makes some very interesting choices. Mm -hmm, so you mm -hmm. see that he's directed a Disney film. Yeah. Peace Dragon. Dragon. Yeah. Also there's some contention around him. He works with Casey Affleck, you know, more than mm -hmm, once he's worked mm -hmm, with Casey Affleck, mm -hmm. who's had various accusations mm -hmm, mm -hmm. against him. And I'm not sure where they've landed and all that, but there are people who are trying to cancel Casey Affleck for his actions, but also David Lowry, the old man in the gun with Robert Redford, 
Forrest Tucker, and again, Casey Affleck. He loves working with Casey Affleck. And then there was another movie called Ghosts. Or is it called Ghost? I think it's called Ghost Story. Ghost Story. Damn it. Mm-hmm. This is all bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's embarrassing because I saw it. So, <laughs> And it is incredibly slow moving. And yet you're kind of along for the ride. You're like, what's going to happen? It's odd. It's definitely bizarre. It's, you know, Casey Affleck's under a sheet for the whole movie. He's actually under a sheet. There's no CGI. Uh, There's like, yeah, I mean, there is some CGI, but yeah, it's basically yeah. So when you have children and they put a sheet over their head, they go, look, Papa, I'm a ghost. Ooh, you know, you're reminded of that. And it's a little clownish for a while. And then you have to, it takes time to get into it. Uh-huh. But I know that this is a director that really takes their time. This man has really not, you know, David Lowry doesn't move. You know how if you watch something from the 70s, you go, wow, we had a really good attention span back then. Mm-hmm. And now director's like, no, no, people won't watch. He didn't care about that. He's like, no, no, you mm-hmm. will watch what I give you. That's that's mm-hmm. who he is. So I, I understood that. And I think there was value in that because this movie, The Green Knight, very much is quite slow moving. Do you know about King Arthur's court? Do you know about the round table? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know and about that. So knights, yeah. The various knights. So Gawain is mm-hmm. one of the knights of the round uh-huh, table. So uh-huh. I guess I should have known that. Many people do. Alicia Vikander was saying that's something she knew just growing up in Sweden. You're taught taught about the round table, King Arthur's court. You're taught about the various knights who sit there. So this movie, I don't want to spoil anything, but I do want to say that Deb Patel does a fantastic job. You know, supremely watchable actor, I find. Mm -hmm. The story itself, it moved a little slowly and it was a little bizarre. And it was a little bit like, I think if I was on mushrooms, I would have enjoyed it more. Uh, does that describe what I'm talking about? Is it like a fantasy type film? Are there sword fights and stuff like that? Or does magical stuff happen in it? Yeah. Yeah. Some magical stuff happens. So I think it it really, it bounces from the, you know, magical realism to straight up everyday conversation you kind of have to change gears Mm. as the film changes gears is it action-packed is there action Action action-packed no but then there is action you know now i will tell you this Mm. it's like people shouldn't really be listening to me and my review of this because it's not it's not a fantastic review just yet but when you go to the Rotten Tomatoes, you go Vulture, the reviews for this movie have been phenomenal. You know, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. it's uh, over 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. And mm-hmm. as you probably know, that's an aggregator, a, a meta yeah, aggregator. I probably don't so need to explain that. But. Right. So Rotten Tomatoes takes hundreds of reviews and puts them together. And it's over 80% mm-hmm, the review mm-hmm. for this movie, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. On Vulture, Alison Wilmore is a reviewer who said this is... It's it's timeless and it's an am- amazing thing to watch. Four out of four stars on RogerEbert.com. You know about Brian Telerico, who's uh, RogerEbert.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People love this movie. Personally, it took me some time to be like, what is happening? Where, where is this going? What is going on? Why is this? And that probably speaks more to me than it speaks to this film because I'm just used to X-Men, Marvel Universe, Things are moving, you know, maybe I need more jokes. Maybe I need more 
as you say, action-packed. I'm probably the guy who would have really liked Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. We should have switched movies. We should have switched And in fact, I didn't even hate the first Suicide Squad. Oh. So I, I got some problems. Maybe you're right, because I find sometimes there's certain movies you have to be in the mood for. So a slow-moving movie, you don't want to be like tired right and it's the last thing you're doing on the day and i gotta do this like you gotta be ready for that just like for a comedy you have to be in the mood for it right and just if you're feeling really down and you're watching some hyper violent thing like suicide squad you mean like you know all the violence in the world and you guys are perpetrating you know what i mean like you maybe maybe that's it maybe you just have to be in the right right mood for it I think that's right. Like one of the reviews was that it weaves an enchanting spell on you on audiences And I was like, yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is like, this thing is moving very slowly. The moving slowly thing, like, I I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but there are some directors where A, they can have a slowly moving narrative and B, they can have a confusing narrative. And the one I always talk about is David Lynch. I love David Lynch. I think he's one of the geniuses of cinema and television. And I don't understand what's going on in any of his movies. Right. (laughs) Or the Twin Peaks, The Return, which is- Twin Peaks of the Return is one of the best things I've seen in television in the past 20 years. I don't know what's going on, but it's yeah. fascinating and you cannot take your eyes off the screen, even when it's slow moving, even when you have no idea what's going on. So it's possible. I don't know. I haven't seen The Green Knight, so I should probably see it and make my own decision. I but think when you I should. See, yeah. Yeah. I think you should because it's very funny you mentioned David Lynch because I would say, you know, Twin Peaks is very much, if you liked shows like that, mm-hmm. They're not spoon feeding you. They have their own mm-hmm. pace. It's all like, you know, you sort of like you succumb to the will of the director. Right. Hey, take me on a journey. Yeah. And there are directors who I do that with. Overall, the movie still gave me something because the performances were so great. Yeah, it might have been the mood I was in. I was like, this is moving a little bit too slowly for me. But uh, as I say, if you like that Camelot lore and if you um, got the attention span for this and you're in the right frame of mind this will be a enjoyable movie for a lot of people i struggled with it i think a lot of people might want to watch it just to see what they think right where they fall on this and to me this would be a good segue into our next topic but for me i've told you before ali offline the only thing i care when i go to a restaurant is does it taste good that's the most important thing yeah. Anything else, the presentation, I don't care if it's fast food. I don't care if it's a three Michelin star place. It has to taste good. And a movie has to entertain me. And those are the two things I always You're give. strict. <laughs> but entertainment is important. So that's why if I watch The Green Knight and I'm entertained, it's fine. And we're going to talk in a few seconds about one of the most entertaining movies of all time. The theme for, it gives me chills <laughs> for Raiders of the Lost Ark by John Williams, who I just absolutely love. I'll talk about that in a second, probably. And so this year, well, 1981, it was released. So 2021 is the 40th anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which means this is pointed out by an article in The Ringer, which I'll link to. This means that the film is almost as close to its mid-30s time period as it is to us. The film is to us in 2021, which is crazy to think about, right? I don't like that feeling. The funny thing is when I watched this as a kid, you know when you're a kid, like 
stuff from the 30s might as well be from the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Like if you asked me right, exactly. at age 10, what was the setting of the Raiders? I would have been like, I don't know, late 1800s, 1900, you know, like maybe 1875. That's when the Raiders of Lost Ark was set in, you know, like 1930. But of course, when you think of the technology that he had at his disposal, meaning cars and vehicles, of course that doesn't make sense. But I don't know. I just grew up thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark was like olden days movie. I know. It's, and it's it's crazy to think about that. And as an aside, Back to the Future, we're further away from Marty going back in time, like he went back to the 1950s, we're further away in the future yeah. from 1985 that he went back in time because it was 30 years he went back, right? So Yikes. all this to say, yeah. These time nerds, these time nerds got to chill out, huh? We have feelings. They're not helping. So I thought we'd, we would just talk a bit about this movie, its impact on us and its cultural impact. Why don't we start with you? Like what, what, what are your kind of remembrances of this movie, your personal connection to it? Well, first of all, I think my dad only took me to like three movies in my entire life. And I'm only saying three to make him seem like a reasonable person. I think it was only one. It was Raiders of the Lost Ark. It might have been more because us, if you have told me I went to a movie with you and your dad, I'm like, well, did we go to that movie? No kidding. But I remember my dad taking me to this movie and I remember going to the Imperial Theater in Montreal. And the Imperial Theater is like a real piece of history in, in, in Montreal. It's like you go in there, it's not like any other theater you've seen. And the reason is because it was an old vaudeville theater in the early 1900s in Montreal. It was originally designed for vaudeville. And so you think about like, wow, this many people, like I, I don't know what it is, 500 seater, whatever it is, a balconies up top for the uh, aristocrats and the particularly wealthy, they would get to watch up top in their own little balcony. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, there's this many people were coming to see vaudeville shows. You know, when I think vaudeville, I think of a small like black box kind of theater, but vaudeville was of course entertaining the masses. So anyway, I saw it at this wonderful theater with these plush maroon seats and these balconies and You know, again, going back to what we said, you cannot extract your viewing experience from the movie sometimes. So I'm sure I would have loved the movie anyway, but I really have the greatest connection to Raiders of the Lost Ark because my dad took me and because I saw it in this historic theater. And it was unlike anything I've ever seen in my young age to have seen Mm -hmm. Star Wars, to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was just like, just life is good. This is Mm -hmm. such a great story. And obviously we're, we're close to the same age and I have the same thing. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how much I loved Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Those were easily my two favorite movies. And I loved Harrison Ford. I still love Harrison Ford. Come on. He's great. He's a curmudgeon, but he is still the best. Yeah. I just thought it was great. And it's funny, this story. So Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981, as we mentioned. And it was the highest grossing movie of 1981. It beat Superman 2 in that. And then I was trying to figure out the timeline of this because it was re-released in 1982. And in the summer of 1982, I was visiting you in Montreal. My family was visiting your family. And my dad said, let's go out to a movie. My dad is similar to your dad. I've only, I only see three movie franchises with my dad. Only three. I watch Indiana Jones movies with him. I watch Star Trek with him. And I watch James Bond with my dad. Those are the only, and then I go to, always go with my dad. Otherwise, we just go on our own to see movies. So That's good. 
that summer, we were visiting you, and my dad said, oh, let me take the kids to a movie. What movie do you guys want to go to? And I wanted to see Raiders of the Lost Ark because I hadn't seen it yet. You had seen it, but I wanted to go see it on the re-release. My sister wanted to go see Kenny Kenny Rogers in the movie Six Pack. Good Lord. I don't remember what that was all about. I think it was him with a gaggle of kids. Maybe it was like the Bad News Bears or something like that. Right, right. Okay. And then you were kind of fine with anything you didn't you were easy going as long as i'm getting hot dog and popcorn probably <laughs> that's what i was saying yeah that movie theater hot dog there's a whole other episode in that movie theater <laughs> hot dog i think it's still there from the imperial theater probably just rolling around. circulating yep getting that heat <laughs> and so my dad said actually there's this new movie that's getting lots of good reviews we want we try to see this one and we hadn't heard anything about it so we went into this movie not knowing anything about it other than it was a well-reviewed movie and that movie was et And so imagine going into that movie and not expecting any zero expectations because you never heard of it. Yeah. And you go see one of the greatest movies ever made. Right. Totally. And, you know, right now it sounds like we're talking around Raiders of the Lost Ark. But Steven Spielberg, who directed E.T., has a connection to Indiana Jones. This was his follow up afterwards. And Star Wars, George Lucas obviously has a connection to Indiana Jones as well. So right, we're really, exactly. You think exactly. we're not so, talking see, about the thing we're talking about, but we're talking about it. So we are. So yeah, but yeah, so getting back to that. So E.T. was after Raiders for Steven Spielberg, but George Lucas, actually his big hit, We people almost forget, right? Before Star Wars, it was American Graffiti, mm-hmm. right? Which was, again, the 70s looking back at the 50s, right? Yeah, which, yeah. which was, again, seems so long ago and Happy Days kind of came out of that and things like that. Looking back at the 50s, which was only 20 years. So it's like us looking back at the uh, early 2000s. I mean, it's crazy when you think about about this. So he was looking for another movie to do, and he worked with his friend Philip Kaufman, another screenwriter, and they were thinking about maybe an archaeologist adventurer type thing. Uh, they were going to call him Indiana Smith at the beginning, and then they and then, then so they flat. changed it. Yeah, and what happened was. So they worked on that idea a bit. Then Lucas went on vacation after Star Wars came out because he didn't want to hear any negative reviews. He just wanted to isolate himself. And You, <laughs> you know, could back in those days. That's now there's right. nowhere in the world you can go. And people kind of forget this as well. Spielberg, Lucas, Coppola, De Palma, Gorsese. These guys were all friends back then. These, mm. are the, these are the auteurs coming out. Philip Kaufman as well. And so they were – he's friends with Steven Spielberg. So he said, why don't you guys come with us as well? And then he – happened to pitch this idea to Steven Spielberg and he changed around a couple of things because Lucas wanted to, I think Lucas wanted him to be more of a James Bond type and he wanted him to be a playboy lifestyle type thing. And, and Spielberg wanted to keep it more, more simple. And then they got Lawrence Kasdan, who we know great screenwriter wrote Empire Strikes Back, uh, co-wrote that, wrote Grand Canyon. So, you know, a great writer. So anyway, then they kind of put everything together. And so uh, that was kind of the genesis of this movie, hearkening back to 1930s serials, right? These adventure serials that these guys had grown up with. Not, I mean, serial movies, not serial breakfast cereal. Thank you for that. Serial movies. And then, Uh, Ali, do you know who was initially cast to be Indiana Jones? I do. And this is one of the rare moments where I'm like, that could have worked. Wow. So it was? Who is it? Magnum P.I., buddy. It was Tom Selleck. And I mentioned Magnum P.I. because Tom Selleck had to bail on it because he got cast in Magnum mm-hmm. P.I., I believe. Exactly. Right. So yeah, that's right. But Magnum P.I. stirred emotions in me as a young man that I didn't really know I had. Like that guy was 
all men from top to bottom. He was such a stud. Like, I think he could have pulled off, but he also has this like sort of high pitched voice, right? Like, yeah, it's yeah. An interesting thing he has where he's so manly, but when he speaks, he's like Higgins, come on, get the dogs inside. Like he sounds kind of nerdy when he's like pleading or excited. He doesn't have one of those. Hi, how are you? You know. And I think that would have worked in the Indiana Jones world, like the look of a of a playboy or a man's man, but then the attitude and actual voice of this like uh, easily excitable human being. I think Tom Selleck could have worked in this movie and it's rare. Usually I go, what? That's crazy. Thank God they didn't get their original choice. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard, right? It's hard to go back and recast that. The problem with this movie, and it was highlighted. So I don't know if I told you this, Ellie, I watched it last week again with my older daughter. I'm like, oh, let's watch this. Have you heard of this movie? She's like, yeah, I know who this person is. Like she's heard of Indiana Jones. So yeah, sure. I'll watch it with you. And the issue is you have to be good at comedy and action and seriousness, but not too serious, right? Exactly. And Harrison Ford can do that. It is so hard for, I think, a lot of actors to do it. A few of them can do it. And if you think of modern actors, like I think action star Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he can do the funny and he can do the action stuff, but it's hard for him to be serious, right? I don't really ever buy him being serious. Maybe Chris Pratt. You know, they talked about rebooting Indiana Jones and maybe – Chris Pratt could do it. Oh, yeah. Chris Pratt would do a good job. He, he might be the only person. He's a bit too comedic as well, but it's it's a tough balance. You don't think Tom Selleck could have pulled it off? I'm going to punch you the next time. Uh, no, I don't. Get out it's of like, here, man. People say we don't disagree enough, so that's it. I disagree. I'm going <laughs> to flip over this. I will uh, kill you. I'm flip over this table I'm exactly. at right now in exactly. anger. It was really interesting re-watching it with my with the daughter. I, I wrote down some notes that I made during it. So do you know, I don't know if you know this, Ali, do you know who is, so in the initial scene, like, okay, sorry, by the way, some people also have commented that we don't give spoiler warnings. So here's some spoiler warnings for a movie for 40 years old. So you mm. should probably want to skip the next five to 10 minutes of the podcast if you don't want to hear about what happens in this movie. Five to 10 minutes. This is a lot of spoilers. I don't right? know. I don't know. I don't want to say, well, you only said one minute, then you mentioned that they opened the Ark of the Covenant Just keep at the listening. End. How about yeah. that? Just keep listening and then eventually go and watch Indiana Jones and feel bad about yourself for not having watched it the first time. And by the way, when I say some people complain, our friend Ashish complains about that. Nobody One guy. One guy. And a good friend of ours. So in the first part of the movie when he's going into the temple to retrieve that golden idol, do you know who the guide is who's with him? Which actor is with him? I don't think I do. No. I know I don't, in fact. Who is it? It is Dr. Octopus from Spider-Man 2. Alfred Molina. Oh, no kidding. That's crazy. You watch it like, oh, I totally forgot. So this is the crazy part. I forgot all these things in this movie. So that's Mm. Alfred Molina and who ends up kind of double crossing him. He says, throw me the whip, right? And he does. Part of it is like, again, I'm not a a filmmaker at all, but I I stretch. But you see people, uh, there's quotes that people say, you want to learn how to make films. I think James Gunn said this. You watch Raiders of the Lost Ark because the whole character- like it's a masterclass in filmmaking? Yeah. And just action set pieces and how you you uh, stage things. So Alfred Merlina, you're like, why do they have this character, right? But it's because they want someone for Indiana to play off of. Indiana Jones is just kind of trying to be cool, calm, thinks he's doing everything right. And he play, he's playing off this guy. And so you, you're watching it actually through Alfred Merlina's character's eyes. Hmm. But of course, the craziest part is that the end, like, first of all, he messes up, right? Because he tries to replace the idol with a bag of sand and he messes up. 
Mm. which is not what a typical action hero would do, make a big mistake like that. Then he has to escape. Then he gets double-crossed, first by Alfred Molina. Then finally he gets the idol. He's walking out, and then remember what happens. Belloc with the um, South American tribe that he's recruited. Yeah, the entire posse is there to... Ambushes yeah. him and takes the that idol. That one was predictable. Like, you're not yeah. walking away with this no, thing. But do you, that's the thing. I don't know. And I want to give you some a couple more examples. Some of these things, I don't know. I think they're predictable now, because this movie set the standard for a hero who's not perfect who feels this is what die hard turned was right die hard which came out several years later mm. that's what it was like an imperfect action hero but indiana jones in my opinion kind of set that standard i don't know just just my opinion so anyway a couple other things that i noticed in, in the movie Karen Allen, there's been some criticism about, you know, her character is a bit of a damsel in distress, and she apparently had a bit more agency in the first drafts, but her accent comes and goes. I was, like, quite taken aback. Like, my daughter's like, what accent is this that she's doing? Uh, did you remember the monkey in this movie? Do you remember? The- uh, you can't forget the monkey. The monkey did a Nazi salute, for <laughs> God's sake. Nazi. So I, I couldn't believe, I'm like, I can't believe they got the monkey to do a Nazi salute. Apparently, that took, like, 50 takes to capture. I... Of course, in that era, it would have been a, a monkey trainer making them do that. But I, in my mind, I'm like, was that CGI? It, it could <laughs> yeah, not that have would been be CGI. CGI. But and and I mean, they were obviously doing special effects back then because Star Wars had just come out, 2001: A Space Odyssey, right? Like these were special effects movies. But Spielberg is a very practical effects guy. So you see that in the movie, like with the snakes. The snakes are some of them are animatronic, but most of them are alive also how did all those snakes stay alive in that pit for like hundreds and thousands of years that's never never really explained no one says that okay and the other thing that that i remembered i forget these things they come back like marion's super high alcohol tolerance how she like drinks that person under the table in her bar and it comes up later when she's trying to belloc's trying to seduce her and she like gets him hammered but she has this super high tolerance the humor in this movie is what really it made me happy. But again, combining humor plus suspense and action. Do you remember this scene where the evil Gestapo bad guy is coming into the tent where Belloc and Marion are? And he pulls out this wooden thing with these, it's like three sticks with chains yeah. attached to it. And he pulls it out. And my daughter gasped like, what is he going to do with that? And do you remember that he assembles it to a coat hanger and hangs up his coat? No, I don't remember that at all. It is one of the best scenes. And it's like- Oh, I love that you had your daughter gasp beside you to really nail home how well they did it. This is how good Spielberg is, right? Mm. The the misdirection, he's such a good filmmaker. And then just you watch the stunt work in this. Remember, everybody remembers the airplane fight where he's fighting that big guy in the airplane. And then, oh, what about that fight with the swordsman? Remember that one? There's the swordsman who comes out when he's fighting in the market, in the bazaar, mm-hmm. and he does all these sword moves, and then Indy just pulls out his gun and shoots Oh, yeah. <laughs> but was, apparently, uh, Crocodile Dundee vibes. Really. That was supposed to be a uh, extended fight scene, but I guess the whole crew, they were filming in Tunisia, got amoebic dysentery, which, again, maybe another episode on amoebic dysentery. Wow. And so Ford was very sick. So he's like, I'm just going to shoot the guy and then we'll move on. So anyway, that's that's what happened. That's funny. (laughs) Turning lemons into lemonade right there. The humor, I'll pull out just two lines or two or three lines that I thought were hilarious rewatching it because I'm like, I can't believe this was, these lines were in a movie from 40 years ago. When Marion meets up with Indiana, she's like, you're not the man I knew 10 years ago. And Indiana says, it's not the years, honey, it's the mileage. 
I mean, that sounds like a joke someone would make now, right? Yeah, yeah. Another one when he's going after the truck, right? And he has this whole chase scene on the truck and he goes underneath the truck. He tells Salah, like, I'm going after them. And Salah's like, what's the plan? He's like, plan? I don't have a plan. I'm making this up as I go along. Yeah, again, yeah. like, I to hear a, a hero that. say that, again, you think that's something that people would say now, right? The humor in it, I think, really reminded me about how good this movie is. So I think it's it, it set the stage, right, for these action movies with a hero that makes jokes, that there's this combination of lightheartedness and seriousness. And, and I think if you look at the Schwar- – not, not Stallone, really, because Stallone was pretty serious, but Schwarzenegger kind of took that mantle and kept running with it throughout the 80s. Like, yeah. you know, we all want the Schwar- – and then the Schwarzenegger one-liners. And then, of course, Bruce Willis, I think, really took a – hit a home run with Die Hard. So I, I think you can see that. And even now, all the action movies that we watch have some comedy in them, right? Yeah. As you say this, I realize – Harrison Ford was the perfect guy for this job because he had proven as Han Solo, right? Flawed hero. Like, let's just hope for the best. And yes, it always works out because it's Hollywood, but you go through quite a journey on the way, right? Along the way, you don't have, you don't have full faith in your hero because they are a bit of a screw up. Well, I want to mention one last thing from this movie, and it's crazy. I didn't realize this was a huge bit of controversy in the movie. And it happens towards the very end of the movie. And by the way, you, at the end of the movie, they open the arc, right? At the end, as I mentioned, and all these kind of spirits fly out and Indy yep. says, close your eyes. And then everybody's face melts and some guy's head explodes. And I told my daughter, this is kind of scary at the end. But again, that was 1981 special effects. And now my daughter just laughs like, this looks so dumb. Like back when we were kids, it was the scariest thing you'd ever seen, right? It was like the horror part of this movie. Anyway, so the, the, I didn't realize this part was so controversial. At the end of the movie, I don't know if you remember this, they're bringing the Ark into like this area to open it up, right? And Indy has a rocket launcher. He gets a rocket launcher through various means, and he's <laughs> going to blow up the Ark and, uh, if they don't release Marion. And basically, his rival, Belloc, played by Paul Freeman, kind of calls his bluff on it. He says, your persistence surprises me. But it's not the line that's interesting. It's the fact that a fly at that very moment, crawls across his lip and looks like it goes into his mouth. And I saw that when I was re-watching it because we watched it on the big screen in my house downstairs. And I was like, what? Why is there a fly in his face? And it did look like it crawled in his mouth. So apparently this has like been an infamous thing over the years. And the actor always gets asked about it. He's like, no, I'm pretty sure I, I spit it out. But Spielberg just edited it out. But then Spielberg says... No, I've inspected those frames the way some people have inspected the Zapruder film from like the assassination of, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. of assassination of JFK. And he said that fly, this is from Empire Magazine, that fly went into Paul Freeman's mouth and it basically it never came never out. Never came out. <laughs> and Spielberg is convinced that's what happened. Anyway, I didn't, again, if you look on the internet, you can find everything about this fly from Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, it speaks volumes about Paul Freeman's acting then, doesn't it? Just that's, so that's, deeply. That, that's, that's what's throwing most people off. That's throwing you off. Like, can we retake that? I, I couldn't believe he didn't, he, like, he just kept going and they used that take, right? Like, Yeah. Or, you know, they were sweating so much that he maybe thought it was a bead of sweat. 
and mm-hmm. you know didn't even i'm sure that's happened to you before you thought it was what it was really like some sort of centipede or something like that. yeah yeah so yeah i mean i think this this movie like the legacy speaks for itself i think it, it's one of the best movies i've ever seen and it's definitely one of the best action movies i think we both recommend people to uh, see it again for the first time as they say or uh, see it for the first time if you haven't seen it yet be prepared as also said there's some stuff that's going to look corny with your 2021 eyeballs but there's mastery that can be appreciated regardless Okay, now let us pivot, hard pivot, hard pivot to something that, well, basically, Asif, you enlightened me on. I I was not aware of its existence until we started talking about ALS in adults, and you suggested there was something similar. I don't know. Is that your words? You said there's something in children that is in a similar space, I guess, meaning that it is a degenerative condition that you're given sort of a, a, a time to live and it's not really beatable until now. So uh, this is an interesting thing where I learned about this condition, spinal muscular atrophy, which you know, professionals call it SMA, and then learned about its treatment at the same time. But I want you to go through the years that you knew about this where there was no treatment also. And I'm sure there's parents out there who are, you know, who have lost children and now look at this treatment. And you sent me three videos about this treatment and how it works. And it is really like almost unbelievable Mm -hmm. because I thought it would be, I don't know, reconstructive bone surgery or like, you know, some kind of metal rods put into children and then they're learned to, it's just, it's medication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so first of all, you have to explain to people because we're really, you know, going way too far, way too quickly. But to watch these videos, and I think you should have links to the videos on the website. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll put those up. Okay, so let's start off with what this disease is. So it's a genetic disease that affects, in our ALS episode, we talked about these cells. These are called anterior horn cells, and they exist in our spinal cord, and they control our nerves, which in turn control our muscles. And in ALS and in spinal muscular atrophy, which, as you said, we call SMA, those cells degenerate. And so So if somebody was to do genetic testing, they would see that they have this gene and could possibly pass it on? There would be a risk of it being passed on to a child? Yes, yes, exactly. So the incidence of spinal muscular atrophy is about 4 to 10 per 100,000 births. Yeah, that's obscenely high, by the way. 4 to 10 people in 100,000 is, it's very, very high for something that's this horrible. And the chance of you carrying the mutation, anybody carrying the mutation, say in North America, is one in 47 to one in 90. You add this to the list of things that you really hoped you wouldn't have to worry about. Like you have enough things to worry about in a day to add this to the list. It's no wonder we're all plagued by so much anxiety. Anyway, yep. And I'll get into the genetics in a second because it's actually relevant. And so what happens is these babies are born with this and then there's different types. But usually you start with, have this progressive degeneration of these anterior horn cells in your spinal cord. And then you get progressive muscle weakness and atrophy. That's why it's called spinal muscular atrophy because it's these areas in the spinal cord that degenerate. You're completely awake and alert 
your cognition is not affected. There's no developmental delay. There's no mental impairment. But you get progressive weakness. As we talked about with ALS, weakness occurs in all muscles in your body, including your breathing muscles, and you have difficulty feeding and things like that. And then patients will often, especially in the more severe forms, pass away. So I'll explain the genetics in a second because it's relevant for the treatment, okay? So the way genetics works is we have genes that our body then creates RNA, so messenger RNA, and that creates a protein. So I never thought I'd see the day where the average person is talking about mRNA. <laughs> average mm. person on the street is talking about mRNA, mRNA, but we're here. <laughs> it's too yeah. late because that's what happened with mRNA vaccines. The mRNA encodes the protein. In this case, it's encoding the protein of the COVID-19 but in these cases, what happens is the SMN protein is made by this SMN gene after being converted to mRNA. So it's the SMN1 protein, which is abnormal and in patients who have the spinal muscular atrophy. So it's not creating what it's supposed to, which is this protein that's involved in the maintenance of these anterior horn cells. I won't get into any more detail in terms of the function of the gene, but you need this gene for those cells to survive, Okay. But we also have another gene called SMN2. And SMN2 kind of makes a not so good, a kind of a bit of a fragile or brittle version of that same protein, of that same protein that the SMN1 gene makes. It doesn't do as good of a job, but it's not bad. That's the way I think about it. So patients often have multiple copies of the SMN2 gene. So the more you have of those, the more you're like making not too bad protein, which can compensate for your lack of SMN1, okay? So there's an inverse relationship. So in other words, the more SMN2 copies that you have, the milder it is because you're compensating, right? Because it's, mm. it's able to make the not so good protein, but it's good enough if you have enough copies of it, because you kind of have more and more that, that compensates, okay? So that's basically how it is. So the severe kids who have SMA type 1 don't have a lot of copies of SMN2, okay? So this type 1 SMA is the one that presents at birth. So the babies will be born, they'll be very weak, and they often die by two years of age or less. And as you said, like I know people who sadly have had children who've passed away from SMA before there was any treatment available. So there are milder forms, as we said, if you have more of those SMN2 copies, and some of those patients are able to sit up, some of them are able to walk. Some people only get a diagnosis in adulthood. If you had enough SMN2 copies, you may have a very mild form that you only pick up when you're older. But obviously, we're very concerned about these babies who are born with the severe form because they can pass away so quickly. What does it manifest itself as? What does spinal muscular atrophy look like in in children? I wanted to ask that too. I saw that in the video and in, in a couple of the kids, the parents described it. But I think with adults, it's in control of all your functions to sort of, you know, maybe a cane and then a, a wheelchair. Oh, in, in ALS. Yeah. So, so a lot of the babies who are born with it, not all of them, many of them are just born already having the symptoms. It's not mm. like you, some can start off relatively looking normal and then degenerate, but a lot of them are seen right away. But in terms of what you would see, like if it's your child, you'd see like weakness, you know, like not able to roll over, not able to pull their head up, and then definitely not able to sit up or stand or walk or things like that. So all the motor function, and then these other issues as well, maybe swallowing problems, choking when you're trying to like breastfeed a baby, 
they're choking, they can't take anything by mouth. And then eventually these breathing problems, some of those videos, you, you saw some of the older kids, right? Who will have like a mask on their face that actually helps with their breathing. It's, it's like a, it's like almost like a ventilator, not quite, but it's supporting their breathing with either what's called CPAP or BiPAP. So supporting those kids. And then eventually they pass away from respiratory failure often. And that was what would happen, especially with these more severe cases. Okay, so let's talk about these treatments. I mean, I, your enthusiasm for this is something I don't really see from you. These are a big deal. Yeah, and we talked about on the podcast before about miraculous cures and miracles and, and Dr. Oz and all these people. And you have disdain in your voice and in your tone when you talk about them? Yeah, but... And listen, I, I don't I want don't want to use the term miraculous lightly, but if you want to talk about something that I as close to that as possible, it's this these treatments for these patients. It's unbelievable. So recently, in the past couple of years, there have been treatments for this disease. And there's three that are, that are kind of out now. And what happens is for at least two of them, you inject the treatment into the spinal cord and not the spinal cord itself, but the, the fluid around the spinal cord. So you have to do a spinal tap to do that and you infuse the treatment. And I'll go over a couple of them because I think it's, it's pretty interesting in terms of how they work. And again, we talked a bit about gene therapy and things like that for, for the ALS. So the first treatment that came out is one called Nusinersen. The trade name is called Spinraza. And it has to be given every four months. At the beginning, you give it much more frequently. And then afterwards, you give it every four months. And so the way it works is it's what we call an antisense oligonucleotide. So essentially, what it does is it acts on that SMN2 gene. The weaker one. And it actually says, you know how you kind of make a bad copy there, SMN2, and it's sort of so-so, not the best? We're going to make it so you, SMN2, create just a normal gene. So in other words, it's acting on a gene that's already mm. present in your body, but souping it up and making okay. it totally just like SMN1. And that's basically how it works. I mean, the, the downside is of this medication is that you have to give it every four months. That doesn't sound like a da downside, but the spinal tap is a painful process. That's right. So that was that was kind of the first medication that came out. Then a second one came out, which has a very long name. So I just call it by trade name, Zolgensma. So this is an actual adenovirus-associated vector which basically replaces the bad SMN1 with the normal SMN1. And we all know, of course, about adenovirus vectors because that's the vector that's used. Uh, like Again, I never thought two years ago people would know what I'm talking about, but these are the vectors that are used for some vaccines. Vaccines. So okay. AstraZeneca, for example, uses that kind of vector. So the first drug that you mentioned, soups up, which I'm sure is a very medical term, soups up the weaker <laughs> gene. Right? SM, SMN2? SMN2, And this correct. one yeah. replaces yeah. it. Replaces SMN1 completely. So your bad oh. SMN1, it uh, just replaces it. Okay, so it. you have weak SMN2s and bad SMN1s, and this one replaces your bad SMN1. Yeah. Okay? That's right. And it's a one-time dose when you're a baby in the spinal cord, a lumbar puncture, spinal tap. Oh, wow. And that's it. Okay. You just give it once. So that's pretty promising. Then there's a new medicine, and th these are all approved by the FDA. Well, I assume these weren't out of a guy named Johnny's Garage, you know what I mean? I'm assuming everything you're talking about is FDA approved, but I guess it bears mentioning, okay? 
And then there's Riz de Plam, which is basically corrects the problem in SMN2, kind of sort of similar to the new Sinersen first one I, I mentioned, but basically you make the correct protein in the end. So it kind of corrects the problem in SMN2 and you're just making a, a good full length protein. That one's given by mouth every day. And that was just approved, like I said, by the FDA and Health Canada just in April. Okay. So no spinal tap in that one. No, so that's a good thing. Taking it by mouth, an oral medication, that's, that's but daily. good, right? Yeah, but daily. So that's the thing. Some of them are one-time spinal taps. Some of them are ongoing spinal taps. Some of them are oral. Now, you could probably argue that if you want to get a spinal tap every four months versus take a medicine every day. Right, but then the one-time dose seems like... That's right, would be, would be amazing. So should we have you guess the cost? Uh, I'm no good with the money. The moolah makes me nervous. God, you know how my feelings about pharma, I I greet them with such suspicion that I feel like they're in a place where they have parents in such a place of what would you not do for your child, basically? So they can charge a lot and they probably do. So, I mean, are we looking in the tens of thousands of dollars? Yeah. So for the first one, Nusenersen, the cost per year is $700,000. Oh my God. That's an ongoing cost, right? I mean, that is as the child grows up, you still have to do this? Or Right now, we think that you have to give it indefinitely. Maybe more studies will come out. Okay. This is really soiling the miracle you spoke about, the near miracle. But hold, I, but hold okay. on, we'll, we'll get to the miracle in a second. And then Zolgensma, which is that one time. Yes, $9 million. $2.1 million for that, for that one oh dose. Oh my God. Uh, and the Rizdeplam, which is that oral medication, is $340,000 a year. At this point, there's like parents who have to watch their children just die because they can't afford this treatment, right? It's like, oh, the treatment's out there, but uh, it's only for the extremely wealthy. Sorry. So Nusenersen is definitely covered in most parts of Canada now. It's been, it's been shown to work. And the other ones are slowly being incorporated. The question is really going to be like, when do you use which one? When do you use the other ones? How does that work? That's a bit of a moving target. That's a work in progress because we really don't know. And we also don't know the long-term studies. Could you ever stop giving these? But I don't think we've really gone into detail about, so I've said that they sound like miracles, but the proof is in the pudding. That's why I want people to watch those videos. So maybe you could just describe a bit. What's your impression from watching those videos that you saw? Well, one impression is just an incredible sadness that you had this one kid with this rare genetic disorder, and then you have a second child in many cases with these families, and they have the second kid has the same genetic, did I say disorder? Is that the right word? I know yeah, Genetic that's, condition that's fine, yeah. and disorder. Yeah. And so it's just I'm supremely sad for these parents. Uh, the first two videos, both of them speak about the connection of their faith, further bolstering your talk of miracles. But yeah, you watch these children, just one of the children was on a flatbed, basically a flatbed stretcher. I think he was face down. I mean, he just lost all bodily, right? Like all muscular function, mm-hmm. completely muscular, complete, he had completely atrophied. So it's very difficult to watch that, but to see that, because they had these videos, you see this child who by 15 months is already like crawling is too difficult and they don't want to crawl anymore and to watch that happen. So I'm just thinking about the cost of it and how, as you watch before your very own eyes, your child sort of deteriorate. I mean, I guess you're going to do whatever it takes to pay that. So hopefully... 
Yeah, I mean, I think the thing to point out is in each of those videos, they're all similar stories, mm -hmm. right? They had one child who had it, and then they had a diagnosis for the second child, usually in utero, before the baby's yeah. born. They knew that what was, what was going on. But the difference between both children is this, the second children had the opportunity to be treated. And then you've seen the videos. What are those kids doing? Running around, living full lives. Yeah, I mean, they look normal in those videos, quote unquote normal. Like you cannot tell, like they're dancing around in the doctor's office, whereas their siblings have either passed away or have very severe motor delays. And again, you need, as you said, need supportive treatment, maybe with a breathing help and things like right. that. It's unbelievable to it's see in, in this one family to see these two sides of it, right? One child who's been so sick and, and passed away often versus these children just walking around. You can't believe it. Yeah, which underlines the fact that early detection is key here, right? Because once you have it in exactly. sort of a full-blown way, there's no coming back from it at that point. Yeah, at least that's not what we think, but there are studies looking on that. But you can imagine once the motor neuron has degenerated, like it's mm. hard to get it back, right? Sure, sure. And one of the links you sent me also was this case in Ottawa. And I was surprised to see that was just in 2020. And it was at Chio, the hospital that you work at. So you were, I guess, intimately acquainted with this, right? Yeah. So I want to just bring this up because as you said, you need to diagnose the patients early. And in all the videos, which we'll link to that I was showing Ali, the parents had a child who had SMA. And mm -hmm. then they were with a subsequent pregnancy, they had the child in utero tested, like in the womb. But that's fine because they had a pre-knowledge that this could happen, right? But for the average kid, what if they don't show their symptoms at birth? What if it's only after a few months, which can happen? Yeah. Then how would you be identified early? And so there's been a real push in various jurisdictions to have what's called newborn screening. So I don't know if people know this, but all babies in Ontario, the province we live in, and many other places in the US and Canada and abroad test babies the day that they're born in the hospital. So uh, and even if they're not born in the hospital, they can still do it. Or they take a spot of blood and they put it on these special cards. And then they analyze those cards for several diseases that can not be treated and that can come up in the newborn period. And many of these are genetic. Mm -hmm. So recently, spinal muscular atrophy was added. So now we'll just say our province of Ontario, every baby who's born gets tested for spinal muscular atrophy on the day that they're born. And within a week or so, if the testing is positive, then you'll get a call. And then ideally, the whole point is you could get one of these treatments early on and reverse the course of the disease. These things have to go hand in hand, right? You have to do the screening, and then if there's a treatment, you have to give it immediately. So that's why I'm very proud. And again, this is happening other places, but it was just a news article because I, again, one of my colleagues who was a neurologist I work with was involved in treating the patients. One of my other colleagues is in charge of this newborn screening program for all of Ontario. And so a lot of this stuff happened at my hospital. So I just, I want to make sure I, I mentioned that uh, as an example, of how it's so important to test and treat these patients early. Okay. Finally, a good story about medicine. Finally, you guys are doing something right over there in your neck of the woods. Now, this is a good story. I mean, at the risk of ending this on a, a low note, 
Does this offer us any hope in terms of ALS and, 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 and stuff in the adult world? Well, they, they are looking at a similar study. We talked about that in the last episode. They use a very similar – it's not the same gene, obviously, because it's mm-hmm. a different gene in ALS. But they use a same process for looking at it. One of the issues is we're intervening in a pediatric disease that occurs right, usually right when you're born versus older people who may have a disease that only presents when they're much older. So what damage, what's been going on over time? Certainly, I think there's probably going to be studies where if you have this mutation, the SOD1 mutation for ALS, then maybe you get treated when you're a child, right? As opposed to when you're going to get when you get older. So that that may be something that they look into the future. But I think if you look even bigger than the ALS picture, this is proving that genetic therapy works. It's without a doubt. There's This isn't like, well, there's a bit of evidence that this works. Like I said, this is children who would normally die, who are jumping, dancing, running around. And so that is, it clearly works. And this gives hope for all other genetic diseases. And I think that's what you'll see a lot of push forward. The downside really, Ali, is the price tag, as you said, and is the government's in Canada, because we have funded healthcare by the government, go to pay for it. And in places like the US and other countries, it's even more difficult because is private insurance going to pay for it or not? Mm. These are huge, huge price tags. And 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 you're right, I wouldn't want to be in the situation where it's a family fighting and having to like mortgage their house several times over to try and pay for this. That's probably more of the downer and more of the concern is the cost and how people would deal with that. I'm reflecting now on how dumb I must have sounded by saying, ah, I don't know the cost. Is it in the tens of thousands? 2.1 million. And again, we've criticized pharma in the past. I know you you have especially. But listen, if pharma wasn't doing this, you wouldn't have these treatments, right? So That's fair. And, That's and they fair. do have to recoup their costs. Like, And you could think about it. This is a great example. Nusinersen is the first one. Every, we said every four months, spinal tap, inject the drug, 700,000 a year. Now, already, within a few years, there's a medicine you take by mouth, which is half as expensive. Mm. What do you think the government's going to go for? What do you think parents are going to go for? If they had a choice, say just between those two and not the Zolgensma uh, one-time yeah, therapy. You go with the oral, the daily, well, yeah. Of course, you'd pick the second one. So no spinal tap, and it's, it's half as expensive. So already, the company that makes new Sinersen would have to have hopefully already recouped its costs because those other two medicines are way better. A one-time dose or a bivalve dose, they're way better. Sorry. I mean, I'm not trying to... Sorry, <laughs> new so nursing. So that's the issue, right? And will they have recouped their costs? I really have no idea. I hope they have. Mm. Um, but that's, that's why. So it's, it's a good example of why it actually has to be so expensive. Okay. Well, interesting episode. We celebrated two things in a way, right? They were both celebrations. Yeah, this is an upbeat episode. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just before we get out of here, just remember, please follow us on uh, Twitter, on Instagram. We're Dr. V Comedian. Send us an email, drvcomedian at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about the episodes. Any suggestions for future episodes? We've had some very interesting suggestions that we've covered already. And then you guys keep sending some in. If you guys are on Reddit, also post about us on Reddit. That's really helpful for us. And Ali, anything to plug? Nothing to plug. I did want to say that Dr. Glaucom Flecken interview was a really good time. And we appreciate all the love and support and retweets and all that that we got for that episode. If you like what you heard, 
Go back, listen to some episodes, and uh, give us a subscribe or a follow, as Asif said. StandUpAli.com is my website. People want to know more about me. And Dr. Doja can be found in the hallways of a hospital in Ottawa if you need his attention. Make sure you say hi if you're there. We'll talk yeah. to you guys later. Oh, no. Yeah, wait, wait. Are you everyone's doctor? Hold on. <laughs> Because remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only. And they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. That's really it. This is the true ending starting now. Now. Bye. Bye.